Hello and welcome to The Life Pod, hosted by Michael Panay and Karim Dow, brought to you by MK Enterprises, a community based on discussing life topics and driving continual personal development and growth. Send through any topics you want covered and be sure to follow and tag us on all social media at MK Enterprises. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 19 of The Life Pod. We are joined today by the CEO of Maple Property Group, Bo Arfi. Thank you so much for coming on, considering your probably very busy schedule. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on, man. We appreciate it. No, thanks for having me, guys. So give, again, not a lot of people are in this industry, not a lot of people in this field. We think it's a very important field that people learn about for their own future and portfolio, etc., so give us a bit of rundown, sort of you, how you got into it, what made you like it, your portfolio, et cetera. Just give us yeah, a draw yeah. on you, bro. Completely. Um, so basically, uh, property investment was, wasn't necessarily something I always wanted to get into. Um, when I was in high school, I was one of those kids that, you know, the teachers would be like, this guy's not going to do anything. He's, you know, going to be a garbage man or, or whatever, you know, yeah. he's, he's essentially not going to do anything. I think all um, of us in that room cop yeah. that. Yeah, literally, it's, it's the ones that end up doing well for themselves that always cop that shit in high school. Exactly. So, um, so I, had a, I had a tough time in high school in, in that regard, um, but I had a, had a lot of fun and a good friendship circle. And you know, That's good. Um, had a ball, I guess, in the, um, in the enjoyment side of things. So anyway, um, you know, property wasn't something that was, you know, really interesting and, and intriguing to me probably till I got to about, you know, 19 years old or something like that yeah um for a long time it was just you know something that was uh you know something relatively foreign to me um what caused me to want to get into it is i actually had a family friend um who was a property developer yep. um he bought a lot of property and he, he did very well essentially and basically i was uh this is around the 19 mark yeah, this is around 19, but I, I essentially knew him my whole life so i was basically you know i, w I would see him and I'd, I'd see him kind of you know, always, always on holidays, yeah, progressing, yeah. new cars, you know, happy. And then I'd sort of see... How do I get that? Other people, yeah, that were like stressed and they were kind of like always kind of, you know... Nine to out. five stressed all the time. Correct. You know, getting caught up. Yep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And just being that younger age and kind of taking a step back and looking at both pathways and thinking yep. I'm a young guy and I could go either way, um, you know, it made me think I, I want to kind of imitate of, of what this person's done if I can and um, essentially you know, saw this person as a bit of a mentor and, and, uh, and get close and, and replicate what that person had done. So that's where I saw property as a, as a potential solution to the life that I wanted to create. And, uh, and basically got that spark kind of come into me at around 19. Beautiful. So he inspired you. Correct. I, yeah. I love what you said there. It's, it's very simply the life I wanted to create. Like that's so important. And it comes back to, we've said it on like so many episodes previously and we're brought up in this whole, you know, Go to school, get the job, work till you die. And it's like, we're so caught up in that. And same thing with the whole like, cool, 25 married kids, house at 30. It's like, wh why? what's the rush? Where's the, you know, like I, I really, I'm so big on that. And that's probably something we encourage other people, un young entrepreneurs, anyone, like create the life you want to, create the life you want to live. Yeah. It's not just about fitting in and just doing what's socially acceptable. Because just because it's acceptable doesn't mean it's right. Yeah, completely. That's I couldn't couldn't agree more. And I think um, you know, if I went down that that way, that path where, you know, go to uni, get a good job and just continue working at the same company for the next 20, 30, 40 years, um, you know, probably would have been pretty miserable and, and yeah. nowhere near on a track to be able to to get what I want to achieve and, and and I think it really comes down to freedom and being able to do 
what you want to do when you want to do it essentially that's, that's all it is for me it's it's not a money thing for me it's yeah, it's huge. way more about freedom and like you said he was obviously going on holidays like i want to get to that stage too and i'm sure you do as well and all of us in this room do it's 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 about the freedom more than the money it's, it's not just it's about it's a money the, figure exactly it's like Same. you can turn around to your kids and say you know what let's go on that holiday next week without any stressing or i can't afford it or anything like that 100 percent. that's all it is how many people <coughs> do, do we all know that work probably let's just say let's use a factory job as an example you or like night shift you know or traffic control or something like that it's really good money yeah. but they fucking hate it they dread oh my god i start at 6 p.m i finish at 4 a.m that, like, that falls back into yeah money's great yeah. but if you don't know what to do with it Essentially, it's not. Yeah, you know. Well, again, well, if you're just saving it, like at <coughs> least not even earning interest. Again, it's like it's like it's dead money. It. Dead money. Or spending. Hundred percent. It. Yeah. it sort of needs to be a bit of a means to an end. Like if yep. you're going to do something that you don't particularly love, then that's certainly okay. But I suppose, what's the end goal with it? You know, am I am I working hard and sort of sacrificing for yep. some sort of delayed gratification, or like yep. what's the what's the kind of goal here? So spot um, on. Yeah, so, so was it. all right, 19, you've you've met someone in your life that's inspired you to get into property. Now, what was your first taste? Yeah. What did you first get into where property was involved? Was it a job? Was it reading? Did you get started by reading books? Any, anything like that? Yeah, definitely. A really good question. I was... Uh, I was put on to actually a seminar um, when I was young, uh, probably 18 or 19, similar. Yep. Um, and I think it was a way to kind of get me to become more motivated and, and care about some of the things of self-improvement, like Tony Robbins and all this sort of thing. So I was invited. Robert Kiyosaki. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm sure every, you know a lot of people have read it. The Rich Dad, Poor Dad book was Fantastic. one of my first and it completely um, changed, uh, and changed the mindset inside me and, and gave a shift of... Um, yeah, of, of kind of what I wanted and it made me think about money completely differently. He taps into your yeah. soul in that, doesn't he? Yeah. He's like, I know what you want and this is how to do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. He literally gives you the blueprint. He's like, the rich literally. people do this and the you know middle class do this. It, and, also changes, yeah. it also changes the way we actually look at money. Like it's not just a, a byproduct anymore. It's not just, it's something of value. It's something that <laughs> yeah. is exchanged. It's not just like- It's a it, tool. Yeah, it's not just yeah. an outcome of if I work, it I get this as a result. That's right. We stop looking at it as like a, like a simple equation. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, books. Yeah. So the books was, was massive. I watched, listened to richest man in Babylon as well, um, which Huge. is obviously a great one. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, started to get into seminars a little bit and started to educate a bit and then kind of became addicted with the whole notion of, uh, you know, cash flow property pa yeah, and passive income, passive income. Exactly. Right. Um, you know, something that stuck with me is I wanted to create, uh, streams of income and not piles of cash. So yeah, yeah don't create piles of cash, get streams of income. Yeah. And, and that was something that, you know, Spot really on, hit yeah. home to me. Um, and, and I wanted to, I kind of had that notion and I, I started to research what property I could and just learn and educate. I was watching hundreds of hours of educational videos on YouTube and things like that. Um, the first properties that I, I wanted to buy, so, so two ways, I guess, to answer your question is I wanted to, to get into uh, a cash flow property. So I was looking at like student accommodation and things like that as a, as a first things purchase. Things that bring high yield. Correct, exactly. Yeah. So I was looking at this sort of stuff and also... Um, you know, seeing what I could do. Now, I started putting offers into properties and I'm thinking, yeah, 100 grand, that's mad. And then I get to the bank side of things and the bank's going, all right, you need 60%. And I'm like, what the fuck? Deposit? Yeah, because like, there's all of these lending restrictions and all of these different things that are associated with it. You can't just go, oh yeah, I'm going to buy this $100,000 property that gives you $350 a week in rent. It's like, there's a catch to it. Otherwise everybody would do it. And you know, you need to come up with a lot of money and there's a high body corporate that's associated to it. And there's, yep. there's a lot to it. So you can't just, you can't just look at income cost and then go ahead. 
um, there's a magnitude of factors to consider. So I wanted to do that really badly. And then after I educated myself, I realized that I couldn't. And I, I went in a different approach and, and ended up buying a property in Ballarat. Yep. Um, it was about 700 square meters. Yep. Um, so it was a house, it was land content. Um, and basically uh, it was- Is this your first one? This is my first one. Yep. So I would have been about 20 years old. And it was uh, 100. Wow, first property at 20. That's that's fantastic. That's already, like, yeah. Even in today's end, that's a huge accomplishment. And so you're known. It was 134,000, I should say. So there's nothing too crazy. This is why I'm so excited for this episode because there's been multiple times where I've been asked, oh, what, what are you going to buy? And I say, and, and, and I tell them, like, oh, yes, maybe my first house will be around 300. Mm-hmm. And people stop it. Where are you going to buy a $300,000 house from? Like, you're so stupid. You know, what do you, you know? And then you just. Sometimes you try to explain they don't listen. Anyway, yeah. I'm really excited about this episode because you obviously have done the hard yards and you know what the fuck to do and how to do it. So yeah. just so your first one in Ballarat, 700 square meters. How much did you say you got it for? 134,000. 134,000. Uh, did, did you need a 60% deposit for that uh, one? No, I didn't. So that was just a 10% deposit because yep. that was a house with land content. So it wasn't any of this weird stuff. Like I literally had saved And up. no LMI. Uh, there was LMI back for that amount. So yeah, for that for amount, those, but, it, but it was a much. <laughs> Sorry, know. we're jumping straight yeah. into. So, so yeah. for, for <laughs> people like myself yeah. and the general population, what's LMI? Uh, LMI is something called lender's mortgage insurance. So when you're buying a property, there's pretty much three main costs. You got your deposit. Now, if you're buying a normal house, it might be ten percent. So you buy one hundred thirty-four thousand. I need a ten percent, so thirteen and a half k. And this goes and for if I like want to live in it, if I want to like as an investment, doesn't oh, matter. Sorry, if it's an investment, you usually need around about ten percent. It'll yep. depend lender on lender, I should say. Yeah. Um, and then if it's your own home, you could probably get away with a five percent deposit. Okay, but cool. but lending is changing all the time, so so please note that. I don't sorry, want to say sorry. Percent, and then someone <laughs> thinks you know. <laughs> sorry, the the, the um, amount the amount you put forward as a deposit too depends. Like obviously, if you're going up against a competitive property where people. Going, there's a lot of people there and a lot of interest. You'll you might tend what to want to increase the deposit to make sure because it can attract, spot. you know. Yeah, I, I found that too. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That, that's a really good point as well. I guess it depends on the kind of property you're buying. Exactly. So if you're yeah. buying a property at like auction or if you're buying this kind of buying in this really high competitive market, then you have to do things that stand out, such as you know, um, you know, no subject to finance or, or cash offer and all of these crazy things. Yeah. Um, now, obviously, <coughs> you know. Back then, I, I certainly did not want to handle that kind of risk. So I had to find a property where the agent was happy to negotiate. And one thing I remembered is my offer is my offer. So I, I put a, I signed the contract in and I said, I don't give a fuck what I want to put. I want to put down these 26 <laughs> things. You tell me I'm stupid for doing so. So be it. I yeah. don't care. Yep. So I put these 26 things down. I said like, you know. 26 conditions. It was something stupid <laughs> like that. I was oh, like I fucking ridiculous. That. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the agent's like, what the fuck? This he goes, yeah, finance is the same as the valuation. And it said, look, subject to valuation, subject to building, subject to pest, subject to subject finance, to subject microwave to, working, subject <laughs> to conveyance to due diligence. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Subject to everything. And then I, um, yeah, and I just basically, um, you know, just said, what have I got to lose? And and essentially, my fear was, the fear of not getting into the market completely outweighed the fear of making a mistake. Yeah. I basically said, fuck it. If I make a mistake, so be it. I'll learn. It's a cheap property pays for itself who gives a fuck we'll work it out but the there was no option to just go i'm gonna wait another two years and see what happens so you would say yes now figure it out later yeah 100 percent. so you the opportunity so you're 27 now or 28 i'm 27 you're 27 so this is when you were 20 so this would have been what 2016 ish uh yeah i guess so i thought it was no i thought it was 2014 2014 four years i don't know 
plus three. Oh, wait, oh, sorry. It's 2000. Yeah, it would have been 2014. 2014. Yeah, I think we're in 2023 for some uh, reason. <laughs> we'll be there soon. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, 2014. Uh, correct. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Cool. So, you know, it's a combination of, and, and I guess something something that I was very lucky is, you know, I, I lived at home. Um, you know, I, I didn't have to pay any rent until I was like 25 as well, which is, is a massive help. So, I, I had a lot of help from family in that regard. I, I didn't get money, so to speak, but yeah. you know, I understand that not everybody has the opportunity to be able to live at home and, and basically not pay rent till they're 25. So I was very lucky there. Um, and, that, and that helped me. Essentially, I could take big risks. So I could, you know, I would put down deposits and then I'd have, you know, 50 bucks in the bank and I'd say, oh, fuck it, I'll wait until next pay and I'd have a coffee and I'd just get away with it. And yeah. you know, I'd have this thing and I, I probably still do that a little bit too much these days. <laughs> that's really inspiring though, <laughs> but, um, man, because it, 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 it's inspiring because it goes to show you what length you will go to, you know, get what you want and, yeah. you know, you know what you're sacrificing for it. So that's good. Yeah, it's massive delayed gratification. It's stressful. I mean, every settlement, every purchase that comes through is stressful. It's not something that, you know, you can just sit and be like, oh yeah, everything's going to be fine. Like yeah. to get to like, you know, having like 20 properties, like, it, it, everything's a push. Like I'm looking at the next, pro I'm not even happy about the, this property that I purchased because I'm already thinking about the next property. So I've got a property that's titling in three months and then I'm already thinking, all right, that's done. I got to get the next one. And then, you know, obviously naturally you push yourself, you extend, you you have more risk. And then, you know, when you have more risk, you uh, you naturally will become more stressed. So it, it certainly it does, takes yeah. a toll and you have to find out what balance you actually are happy to endure. Um, you know, and, and I probably over the next few years, I, I probably won't go as crazy and I'll probably get one or two at a time. And then, you know, I'm not going to, you know, go completely, completely mental because, you know, it, it certainly takes its toll and, and finance can be stressful as well. Oh, definitely. Um, but I think if you use it as like a, just like a numbers game and try not to stress about that. I've had a conversation Sorry. with, had a, pro, a property investor conversation with him and he's just, and he's just like, yeah, I'm in, I'm in $8 million worth of debt. I was like, yeah, nice. Good job. Oh, nice. <laughs> People don't understand though. They're like, oh, eight million more dollars worth of debt. They don't understand. Like it's it's good debt. Yeah. Mm. You know, and he Yeah. There's good debt. So yeah, definitely. So yeah, after Coke, continue. Before <laughs> we continue into that first property, for those listening, Bo's information is very credible. So he's twenty seven with a portfolio of twenty properties, all residential. Um not necessarily. I got commercial properties. Okay. Um, I have car parks. I have perfect. Um, well, still, but tw twenty, yeah, tw right. twenty properties at twenty-seven, yeah. and Maple is Australia's fastest growing wealth management agency. That is a huge title to have. Like that's that's Fantastic. fucking amazing. Yeah. So with that first property in Ballarat, did you again? Did you pump tenants straight into that? Did you sort of let it sit there for a little bit? And correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, I've yeah. heard. I could be wrong. I heard that you have to take legally not have tenants in there for the first year? That's if you're using a scheme to to borrow money to purchase the property. Okay. Correct, yeah. So it depends on if you're buying the property as a, as a first homeowner and claiming some grants or if you're going as an investor. Okay. Something really great as well is uh, I didn't actually buy my own home to live in uh, literally until I was 27 years old. So really recently. Recently, yeah. Um, and until then I was, I was fortunately living at home and investing. Um, but renting and investing is also a really great way to do it. And, and it means that you're going to have a lot more borrowing capacity and, and opportunity costs to continue purchasing. Yep. So if you don't have the luxury to, to live at home for that long, um, you can also go down a rent and investing kind of way. And, and, rent, that, and that's rent, rent vesting. Yeah, that's right. It's actually a, a really good way to do it. So, so that <coughs> rent, vest, rent vesting is instead of you, and correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. but instead of you going off into a and buying a house for yourself mm -hmm. and paying a mortgage, which would be at a much higher rate than what it would be for you to go off and live in a house and pay rent. So I know that 
um, one of my friends is living in a house where he's, he's renting it, and I don't know how this arrangement. Is, but I could be wrong. Um, so I could be wrong where um, they're renting, but if they decide to buy in a year, whatever they've paid in rent goes towards the cost of the house. Is that what that is? Oh. Um, that's um yeah great. I think that's something else. Might be one of the other schemes or something. There's there's a bunch of stuff that's coming out. There's a super saver scheme. There's a bunch of different things. Yeah. I suppose um rent vesting is simply a, a a strategy around property investing where you're basically you, instead of buying your own home and then um, trying to invest later, it's essentially going. I've got sixty thousand dollars in the bank. Am I a buying my own home or am I b investing? Now, if I have to move out and the question poses the same. Am I B, uh, am I A buying my own home or am I B investing? So it's it's about understanding where you want to be. And if you're wanting to build a portfolio and, you know, be able to continue duplicating from a, a borrowing capacity perspective, um, then often the, the strategy for a lot of people is that by actually uh, renting, so by renting and, and investing that money, yeah. that $60,000, um, that's going to mean that your borrowing capacity, so your borrowing capacity is your opportunity cost. Yep. That's going to mean that you can continue purchasing oh, and continue duplicating. Sense. So it's it's more so just a strategy. And around for myself, like, and this is just really for me, is you know you can get caught in you know only like there's a crazy percentage. It's like eight um, percent uh, of the population invest, but ninety nine point five percent of the population don't get over. I think it's three investment properties, or two. Two. Yeah. So it's like people are really struggling to duplicate. Well, why are they struggling to duplicate? Uh, it's because they don't know how to go about the borrowing capacity. Correct. So I guess, that, yeah, borrowing capacity is, <laughs> is so important. It's yeah. the key. Yeah. It's almost more important than growth in a way. And bear with me. If I could buy a property for $700,000 and it grew at 12% growth, I could, you know, and that might hurt my borrowing capacity $300,000, say, because, yeah. you know, say that property is going to grow a bunch, but the cash flow isn't as good. Yeah. Whereas I could buy something at 500000 but it only grows at 6%, but it only hurts my borrowing capacity 50K, not 300K. Or even vice versa and borrow and get two properties at 200000 Exactly right. Yeah. Um, or, or that, exactly right. Yeah. But if my cash flow, I, I'm watching my opportunity cost. So every time I buy, I'm making sure that it's not hurting my borrowing capacity. For the future. Exactly. And yeah. I'd rather take a property that grows at 6% rather than 12% personally. Yeah. Um, if it means that I can continue duplicating. And, and that was more so my mindset around things. So, so it's interesting, going back to the first few things we're talking about, about people working the nine to five job, let's have a quick chat about what... Before we jump back into that, so you were saying that... I'm uh, sorry to cut you off <laughs> because he brought up a really good I'm point. So per, per, personally, you recommend for people to think about long-term yield and long-term borrowing capacity instead of just, cool, this is a good investment for now. That As a, as a general... So, sort of, I mean... Uh, for. It, it completely depends on um, on people's situations and, yeah. and what they want to achieve. You know, yeah. Some people come to me and they're like, look, I only want to have two investment properties and my own home in 10 years. And I'm like, okay, great. Like, don't that's, get, I don't, yeah, anyway. I mean, that's, that's people's <laughs> I don't comfort get what, level. Yeah, I get it. But like, yeah. it's just capping yourself. Anyway. Yeah, I guess so. But, um, you know, that then that's the question is, you know, should everybody have, should everybody strive to have 20 properties? And like, I don't think the answer is, the answer to that is not yes, because there's a level of stress and, and anxiety that comes along with that. And yep. there's massive amounts of problems that if I was in a nine to five, I wouldn't be able to probably even hold a job nope. to be able to maintain some of the problems that I have at the moment. So it, it has to be, you know, it has to be sustained. Um, exactly. And, and, and f- I guess from my end at a company, we try and educate as much as possible to actually equip people and be like, look, if we get you three or four or five investment properties, 
like you're going to have a property manager, but there's also going to be other things that um, can go right and can go wrong. And it's just, just about, you know, having the, having the knowledge to essentially be able to handle that. Yeah. Um, you know, we had a property at, uh, to give you an example, we had a property that was worth, or my, my family had, it was probably worth a million dollars. It was in Yarrambat going back probably eight or nine years ago. This property for a million dollars rented out for about 450 a week in rent. The tenant didn't pay the rent for like two or three weeks. My mum would be stressing out, freaking out and just wondering like, what's going on here? And it would really genuinely affect her. Yeah. Whereas for me, someone could be you like- You take that into account in your costing, do you not? When you purchase oh, a property? Because that's what they teach us to do. Yeah, certainly. Like, yeah, you have to have a kind of contingency in place in case yeah. somebody doesn't pay and you need to make sure that you know, you're not, you can actually out survive pocket, with that. Exactly. Pocket, yeah. Exactly. Same sort of thing with um, forecasting, uh, you know, interest rates and things like that. You want to make sure that, you know, you can kind of, uh, you're not overcapital, you know, you're not, um, you know, being too kind of positive on on what it is. Like if rates are are 4%, don't consider that rates are 4%. Consider that it rates at 6% and and see if the property can pay for itself there. Um, Yeah. So, yeah. All right. So what I was was getting at before. Sorry. (laughs) No, that's fine. Is let's... Let's talk about why people get stuck, right? Now, you, you're going about the whole nine to five and, and everything like that. Why people get stuck in that rat race and get stuck on the one and maximize themselves at two properties? Yeah, yeah, completely. I guess it, it comes down to a, a range of different things. Um, one of the things is that when you're buying a property, the bank is not necessarily going to take 100% of your income. Yeah. Of Sorry, 100% of your rental income. So, for instance, it could be a situation where you know, the lender that you're going with is, you know, you could be getting $20,000 in rent a year, but the lender's going, look, we're going to put a shade and we're going to put a buffer in there as you would and and should. Um, And they're only going to count $15,000 of that amount. So all of a sudden, you know, you're breaking even. No, you're not anymore. You got, you got $15,000. So they're going to shade the rent. That's one of the things they'll do. Other things they'll do, you know, your interest rate might be 3% or three and a half or 4%, whatever it is. Too bad. They're going to buffer another three, four percent, or whatever it is. Could yep. be two and a half. Could be three. They're going to buffer that essentially, and basically say, "Does this property, um, can this actually pay for itself? Yep. Um, you know, at this level. And if not, it's hurting your borrowing capacity. Other things. You know, you might be spending two thousand one hundred dollars a month. However, you might be earning X amount of income. You might live in a particular suburb, and the bank may have a policy that says, "Hey, um, because you fall into this category, or because you're a, you know, single." person as an example we have to put your expenses at three thousand dollars a month as an example all of a sudden you know you you have this inaccurate picture of what your situation looks like um and you can you know if you're if you're living at home you might be paying no board no rent yeah the bank's going to chuck in 650 as an example yeah heaps of things that that hurt and hinder your borrowing capacity we have to be really kind of careful and strategic about yeah it and, and, and the first step is actually being educated and, and knowing it because so, if you don't know it you, you can't kind of combat it so in saying that, as someone who is wanting to jump in for their first time of at like investing, and you've mentioned all these things, how does how does that person go about finding those answers out and going about it the right way? Yeah, it's a good question. I suppose the the first step, even if you don't have the deposit and everything together, is to uh, to educate yourself. Yeah. So understand um, you know the the types of properties. So you could have like you know pro- positive cash flow versus growth, and understand you know, what you want to achieve so so as you can decide which direction that you want to go to. Um, so what I would suggest is, uh, 
you know, it's, it's just an education thing really. And there's plenty of resources out there that can, that can help with that. Um, yep. Research your costs involved. You know, I used yep. to have pages and pages associated with the costs involved. Realestate.com is an amazing tool, domain. Um, you know what I Even you guys have a heap of like amazing resources on your website too. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so essentially, yeah, absolutely. We've got, um, you know, usable equity calculators. So there's a difference between, you know, what, the equity is in a property. So equity being the net wealth in a property. So yep. if property's worth 600K, you know, the debt's 400, you've got 200K equity. However, if you've got, you know, if the property's worth 600K and you want to work out usable equity, say the same situation, property's worth 600, the debt's 400K, the bank might take 80% of the 600K. So all of a sudden they're taking 80% of 600 is uh, 480. So they're, they're using 480 and then they're taking 480 off the $400,000 in debt. So you've got $80,000 in usable equity that you can take out of your property and use to duplicate. Yep. And you've got $200,000 of equity. So there's a dupli there's a there's a difference. And, yep. and there's some of the things that we've kind of got on our website. And, and a, a lot of that stuff is to, um, yeah, is to understand how the banks essentially will. One thing I wanted duplicate. to ask is, um, I know this term gets thrown around a lot and we went to a, a seminar about it and it just got thrown around here. But I don't think a lot of people understand it is, like when you're looking at a property to like, how do you, how, do, how could you explain to people how to make sure that their property they're buying is going to be positively geared and make sure they're not okay. like, not actually going to be profitable for them? Yeah. Yeah, completely. Um, that's a good one. So, so the way I see it is a sort of two, there's two parts. A property can be uh, positively cash flow and positively geared or negatively cash flow, negatively geared or yep. whatever. So the way I see it is essentially um, cash flow. This is, you know, how, how we typically would understand it is cash flow is essentially the money coming in versus the money going out at face value without calculating any of the other things associated. So yep. what that means is, you know, you've got um, 300 bucks coming in, but you've got 280 coming out. So your cash flow is 20 bucks per week, as an example, a month. Okay. Um, so that's cash flow. Now gearing will take into the into account all the other things associated with purchasing like a property. Your rate, like, your rate, like your rates, your property yeah. management fees, yeah. everything. 100%, exactly. Body all corp if you pay it, all of it. 100%. All rates. of those things are included. Yeah, council rates, body corporate, water rates, what, whatever it is, um, all of those things are accounted with it. So once you've considered all of those things, are you a, uh, in a positively geared position or a negatively geared position versus a cash flow position? So, um, so yeah. So then my next question is, is if you have... If you buy a positively geared property where in, in turn it's actually making you money, mm -hmm. moving forward and buying another one, how does that look from the bank's perspective? Yeah, for sure. Well, the, the more, the better sort of situation you can put your cash flow position in better. Yeah. Um, it's, it's always going to look better to a lender um, because obviously they're going to buffer it. They're going to put the same metrics that they're going to put in. Yeah. Um, but if you can be more cash flow positive, um, they're more they're happier with that, aren't they? Correct, but it, it depends on someone's situation. You know, somebody might come to me and they might be on four hundred fifty thousand dollars income, and they want to go. I want to buy property, build wealth, create growth, but I also want to reduce my tax. And that strategy is very different to the twenty-two-year-old that comes to me who's got fifty thousand dollars <coughs> saved and says, "I want to buy this, build a portfolio over the next ten years, and get to ten investment properties." That strategy is completely different because those goals are completely different. Yeah. So it's not a one-size depends fits all. on the investor. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Found that. Too. Is there anything to look for for like let's say you know a young you know middle middle, middle I'm sure that again <laughs> middle aged person that again looking for a property like what them as a general 
general population because they can is there any things that they can look for to see if a property is positive or negative or do they have to seek advice from someone like yourself no they could certainly do it they could do a good chunk of it themselves yep. um so what oh, yeah what are the like what are the um a lot of a lot of a lot of research into to what actually to search up to actually put down in your calculations yeah, that's my, that's pretty much what I'm asking. Like, Joe, do I have to look for? Is it, does it have to be 700 square meters? Does it have to have a backyard? Does it have Are you to talking be, about the actual property? Yeah, like what should we? What should people look for to know if it's going to be a, an okay investment? Well, it, heck, yeah, you're the that expert. even makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's I know that's it's very contextual and very broad, but like, yeah, yeah. Well, <coughs> first of all, I guess you understand your goal, what do you want to achieve, and then after that point, you understand what are good fundamentals with property that would I would want to have, and you don't want to just go. It's got three things. You want to actually. And that's why education is the first step because you've got to know what an actual good property is. So for us, we've got like 21 pieces of criteria that we look at when we buy a property. Yep. Things like government infrastructure and, you know, make sure the property is positive cash flow. And, yep. um, you know, we want to make sure that um, the vacancy rate's nice and low. The yep. owner-occupied percentage in an area is nice and high. You know, we don't want these suburbs full of renters. Um, we want to make sure, you know, owner-occupiers will keep their properties better. So we want to be wedged in with them. Yep. Um, you know, governments are going to spend money where where um, you know there's going to be more infrastructure and population growth with population growth is another massive one. So you've got to understand what constitutes a good property and then you can essentially, after you've got the education, you can then work work out that information. Um, and, th- and there is ways that you can work it out online as well. It's just a lot of grabbing information yeah. from yeah. different spots and so forth. But, um, but yeah, certainly education is the key. And I guess from our end, you know, we try and do six or seven education sessions with people. Even if people don't really want to and they go, just tell me which property to buy and I'll buy it. I'm sort of like, you need to too know bad, man. You got to know why. I'm yeah, just yeah, going to yeah. tell yeah. you to buy it. And then, yeah. So we, we try and uh, we try and educate as much as possible. And, and that's sort of I one think, of the criteria. I think the, the knowing why is really important. That applies for anything you do in life. So it's like, for an example, let's say you ex- don't explain them the why. They just buy the house that you tell them to. For whatever reason, they stop working with you, whatever it might be. If they want to buy the, another property, they're pretty much screwed because they don't know why that one was a good investment in the first place. So they're just going to end up in this same loophole. Of, now I'm stuck again. So yeah. it's it's like what what do I do now? Okay, this, this is a good idea because Bo said it was a good property. Yeah. Now what the hell do I do? It's like hundred percent not good enough. Everybody needs to have a certain level of education. Yeah. Like when they come on board, I mean it's all right if they don't know a lot, but but I guess all I request is that uh. You know, people have a, a good attitude. They bring a notepad to every appointment if they want to record. They can, uh, and and you know that they you know, people pe- people take it seriously. But um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, you need to have that kind of. Yeah, you need to have that. You need you need to understand the why because you yeah. can't you can't just buy property because you because I said to buy it. it. It needs to be really understood. But and, yeah, it's yeah, important. You yeah, need 100%. to know why you're doing it. Hundred percent. So yeah, when people say that they don't want to really do in the education or be involved and so forth, I'm kind of just like. Are you Look, really here to do this properly? Correct. And, and maybe we're not the right company for you in that regard. And, and that's cool. We can kind of be a little bit. I love that as a company, you really hold the uphold that high <coughs> standard of investing. It's not just cool. Give us your money. Let's buy a house. It's like, there's so much more to it. So I love that. That's timing yeah. on having you here on this episode, I think is, is perfect, right? Because yeah. we've just witnessed another interest rate last week you guys witnessed we didn't you guys witnessed yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i really witnessed <laughs> I, I witnessed too yeah and we we've witnessed another interest rate rise last week yeah what, it's a big, it's what a big are your deal. thoughts what's going on because i've seen a huge crash so what, what 
what can the general pop take from these these rises? What, what does that mean for the general <coughs> pop? That have a house already, so or, leave, or renting, or have an investment? What's the game plan? Yeah, yeah, it affects a lot of things. One thing I've seen so far is coming in in January, December, in the hot market that it was last year. Buyers were buying for fear of missing out, and now buyers are buying with fear of overpaying. And there's just no urgency there anymore in buyers, and they're very scared of what's going to happen. We've seen an increase in subjects to finance. We've seen an increase in building and pests. People really making sure that they're doing their due diligence now. There's just, just no urgency. We would typically list a property on the weekend and sell it that night, if not the next day. And that's completely changing as well. Yep. Yeah, completely. I think, yeah, it's certainly an interesting time. I think, you know... How the question is, I suppose, how can people position themselves in this situation? Yeah, where you know, how can the guy who's got you know the fifty thousand dollars savings? What's his play versus, uh, you know, what's the play of you know somebody like myself versus somebody who's got one or two properties? What should they be doing? Yeah. Um. So I suppose uh, the the first part of it is, I think it comes down to cash flow as well. A lot of people have asked <coughs> me, me, hey man, you've got like you know X amount of debt, um, and basically, you know how you know, are you worried and so forth? Um, you know, I guess my approach to that is that, you know, cash flow, um, you know, reduces the risk and, and kind of negates um, negates that kind of concern of higher interest rates and so forth. Obviously, yep. obviously it's there, but I'll give you an example. Um, I've got an apartment in the city, which don't buy an apartment, but basically... Oh, thank um, you. <laughs> oh, why are you looking at me? I don't no, want to no, buy no, an no, apartment. Don't look at me. I, just, I, I tend to look at him because I'm just like, I look at him at the camera, but yeah. I've had... I want to buy a liability and buy a car instead. <laughs> oh, don't get me started. No. Oh, no. Um, uh, I've had this conversation with so many people like, oh, don't, you know, don't buy an apartment. Yeah. You know, and I personally know townhouses as well. Um, because I'm sure you know, there's just no equity growth there. And I can tell you, I'm just going to fucking say anyway, it doesn't matter. I'm not naming names or anything. Yeah, but yeah. we had someone who's purchased a property, uh, an apartment in 2012, right? Yeah. In, let's just say around the St. Kilda Elwood area, okay. right? They bought it back then for 400000 We just sold it for them again at three hundred and ninety. Oh, no. 10 years ago. Jeez, that yeah. just goes to show you. It doesn't surprise me. Yeah. That's why I'm not even like wow because what, yeah, money. uncivilized. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not knocking <coughs> every single apartment, but uh, I mean, for us as a company, we, we've never sold an apartment, or actually, not even a townhouse at this point. Um, we've always sold In land. Content. Talking about different, sorry, sorry. talking about different types of property. So you said something about you own a, a car park. So yeah. I, I didn't even know that was That's my next question. So I didn't even know that was a type of property. I thought yeah. I didn't even know what you'd call that. So on that note. As we spoke about before, you know, you got your rates, your cancel, all that sort of stuff. What is it like for owning something like that? Is there still those same type of things or is it just like, cool, now I own this, people pay for parking and I get money out of it? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I guess, the, first of all, like- if it's like, I didn't mean to get too personal, no, no, but no, that's just perfect. in general. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a great question. Um, the reason I bought it as well, which is probably a weird one, is probably the richest man in Babylon and then that sort of ingrained thing of- uh, uh, streams of income versus piles of cash. So these these car spots that I bought, um, I got I think five or four or something. Um, oh, okay. So like, is it like on like a strip and you own like a certain amount? I thought it was like a, a like a complex. Oh yeah. Type. So so it's in a complex, but I, I I do own like a few around the city and so forth. 
Um, and these things like they cost like 45k 50k you know 35k whatever but basically um yeah they rent out for like you know 500 bucks a month or something and and if you work that out as a percentage um it's actually pretty high so they're like you know 15 16 20 percent things like that and and sometimes more so um so yeah it can be it can be are they like the ones for an example let's give an example so let's say you're in the city you park in one of those big wilson's like are you saying you own like four or five of the ones that say like reserved on them oh um is that is that what you mean by like four or five spots pretty much yeah it's not it's not in wilson's but um you know there'll be someone like burke street collins street um you know a beckett street like all around the city and there'll be there'll be different levels yeah you can essentially um you can get into them um you know same thing there's pros and cons i mean the bank's not going to lend the bank's not going to go here's 50 grand to buy an um you know a a car spot so it's it's a similar sort of thing but but at, at the time for me it was uh you know it was a cash flow thing that that allowed me to go hang on a minute if i've got if i've got x amount of equity and i'm struggling to duplicate yep. why don't i take two hundred thousand dollars of equity buy four car spots for that two hundred thousand dollars i'm getting two thousand dollars a month in income yeah two thousand dollars a month what's that 24k for the year so then for 200k i'm getting 24k income, income which is over 10 percent easily how is that going to and 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 that money there I don't have any debt on because I've essentially absorbed it with my equity. Obviously, my equities went up. Yeah. Sorry, my debts went up. Obviously, but but then those <coughs> properties have then given me a, a net positive, mm-hmm. uh, you know, financial return. cash flow return to allow me to to continue to duplicate. So so random things like that I was trying to do to continue to move. Yeah, I haven't made all the right decisions. I've made a lot of wrong decisions. I've made funny so decisions. But you learn from yeah. them. Yeah. Exactly. I could probably be on 30, really. Yeah. Um, I, I've done a lot of silly things too. I mean, the, the office that we own at the moment, it's, it's probably worth like $1.2 million. Yeah. We we own it. And I own another two in the building that, you know, in coronavirus, I mean, our vacancy rate in the building was like 15% or something. So, yeah. you know, I've made a lot of silly decisions as well, but but they're decisions that I've wanted to make. And, and after you kind of build up that equity, equity is options. And you can basically go, I have this equity. I have these options to essentially go, um, and, and eventually you can, you can kind of go, you know, do I want to buy a car? Do I want to buy a house? Do I want to do, and, and, and in the last year or so, I've sort of said, I, I actually want to emotionally own the office that I'm in. I want to emotionally, you know, own the property that I'm in, even though rent vesting is better, even though I didn't need to buy, you know, an office for over a million dollars. Like I didn't need to do these things. Um, but I guess after you've got equity, you've, you've got options. So there's, there's a few different ways that things can be done. One thing that was just going through my mind, I, yeah. I, I have <coughs> my, my mind around it. So let's just yeah. say you're on Burke Street and you've got all the parking spots, you know, they're all numbered, you know, because mm. you've you got to pay for your bay. So let's say number yeah. 37. Yep. Like, is that how it works? So you own like 37, 23, and the number four? Oh, um, no, not, not exactly. So it's not like you don't get the 16 bucks per day or the 50 bucks per day or whatever. Are we still rolling? Yep. We have to do the whole thing again. You're right. Yeah, we're <laughs> gonna start the whole thing. Oh shit! <laughs> no, keep rolling. Keep rolling. We're good. We're sweet. We're sweet. Keep going. Yeah, continue. Um. Oh fuck. <laughs> um. So basically, so with the with the car spot, yeah. So you don't just get like five. Um. You know, you're not just getting like five or six. Um. You know, different incomes. Sorry, you're not. Sorry, are you? Are, is, is that recording? Oh, okay, cool. All right, cool. But there's no camera. There's no video. Or? Yeah. Are you good? Yeah, it's just gonna play some things that popped up. I've been there for ages. Can you delete from the last one? Sorry. Yeah, so I, I, I mistake. I thought it was like, cool, you own four or five spots, for example, on a particular street. I thought, yeah, I, yeah. in my head, I thought you owned like an entire complex. So yeah, I didn't oh, understand what no. you meant by like, I own a, like just some spots. Yeah, yeah. So basically, 
No, so it's not like you don't own the spot and then you get X amount of money from Wilson or something. You would you would rent those to like private leases and then basically, um, you know, somebody may go, I'm happy to pay you $500 a month. For, and then they go off that. and they charge for the car spot. Oh, uh, not necessarily. They may they may own or occupy it in the city or something. Oh, okay, yeah. So the, the good thing about the CBD is there's demand. There's not think a lot someone of, pay $500 a month for, I mean, for car spot. Yeah, I mean, if I guess like... You know, you you can use it on the weekends. You can in front yeah. of like office buildings, like with some like the owner of that building or something like that wants to park in that particular spot. Uh, of course, like yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, not everybody wants to get the train, or you know, that not everybody wants to pay the. You know, if you come in at a random time in like a Wilson's or something, I mean, you you come in and then you, you know, and you don't if you don't hit early bird or anything, you'll you'll come in and out and you'll be there two hours and you're paying forty five yeah, bucks, literally. you know. So and the rest, um, so. So yeah, I mean, people are people are happy to do that if they need that <coughs> flexibility to kind of come in and out. Yeah. So, touching on that, mm. it's it's quite evident, and this is what I was sort of going to ask you prior: is how important is diversity in a portfolio? Um, yeah, d- diversity is very important, and that that could I'm be talking in terms of like residential, commercial, industrial properties. Oh, that's a that's a good point. So I, w- I was going to talk in the sense of. Um, uh, states. So, for instance, you know, we do a lot of work in Perth. And well, that Australia that essentially is a diversity too. Like, I'm t- I'm yeah. I was along the more lines of, of actual property, different sec- asset classes, yeah, asset classes. So, yeah. residential, industrial, commercial. Do I think that it's essential? <coughs> Probably not f- until you pr- kind of get into that later at established spot. Yeah. Um. You know, the the reason diversifying is good is you know in case. You know, well, the the thing is, I mean, in different states alone, you've got every every state has its own land tax laws. Every state has its own uh, tenancy laws and its own stamp duty and things yeah, like that. Tasmania's so got a higher rent. Correct. But, you know. Yeah. yeah higher rent rate. Exactly right. So, you know, everything's a little bit different. So basically, um, yeah. So essentially, it's, it, that 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 itself can be quite diversified. Um, you know, rather than you, you can certainly like, should you be buying industrial property versus, um, you know, offices and so forth? Like, I guess that's another question. Um, it cu- it comes down to education, and I guess you couldn't say yay or nay. It, yep. it just depends on somebody's individual portfolio. <coughs> yep. We sort of find that yeah, the first four or five, and and really, uh, for me personally, in the the direction that I did was, you know, my first eight or nine, I guess, were all residential properties. Yeah, because um, so it's safe. Correct. I mean, yeah. you, you know what you're getting more so. And the um, population just continues to grow, so there's a de- constantly a demand for it. Correct, yeah. But, uh, I mean, I've I've got a you know warehouse in Hastings and you know I was looking at getting a warehouse in Oakley and things like that. So I'm certainly not opposed to other asset classes and I, I yeah. think that they're, they're good and, uh, and you know, it's, it's worth – as long as you're, you're going in with all the information and all the options and absolutely, um, you know, good things about uh, commercial property is, is obviously that – uh, you know, you can have longer term leases in place. Yep. Um, the tenant pays the outgoings as well, such as, you know, uh, you don't have to pay the count, uh, the, some like water rates and things like that. Like yep. there's a lot of things that the tenant, uh, if the tenant wants to make improvements and so forth, they're often paying a lot of that stuff. So there, there's certainly pros and cons. Um, you know, some of the other cons is you often need a 20% deposit to get into it. So if you're buying a, you know, $600,000 property, need, yep. you need at least one point, uh, sorry, at least 120,000. Exactly right. Yep. Do you have 120K? All that Cash, sort of things. Yep, yep, yep. Um, <coughs> and basically just you know just just kind of weighing that up but for yep. me i feel like you know residential is a nice good safe 
way to get into it. Yeah, like a long term type, just sort of, sort of like you said, nice steady slow passive income, just sort of slowly just coming in. Correct, and I, I that's that's how I feel personally. But but in saying that, you know, I, I wouldn't knock any other any any other asset class, and I think there's good. Um, there's good characteristics in all of them, and that, that's why I, I tend to own a few. But I think residential is that good, safe growth, typically, if you're if you're buying strategically. How important is understanding business systems when it comes to property? Because my I, my perspective on property is having a parcel of land and figuring out the best way possible to get cash to pay that off within itself, positive cash flow. Yeah. As an investor, I'm sure you can. There's multiple stories of like, <coughs> um, it's kindergartens, for example. So a lot of people don't know they can actually buy a house and actually utilize that house in a way where they can have, obviously, depending on the titles and restrictions like and everything, turn it, like into, that, a but turn it into a kindergarten. Oh, yep. Which then creates more. One, you've got a fucking business that's paying off the parcel of land yeah. and creating cash for yourself. So it's about being smart as well in terms of, of of how to pay off that parcel of land. And another great example, which I've said on another episode, is McDonald's, who actually buy the parcel of land, yeah. build the franchise on there, and then sell the franchise to someone. They're yeah. getting money that pays off that parcel of land, and they're getting their royalty fees. 100%. Yeah, it's a, it's a really smart business model. I guess it comes down to the zoning if it's allowed, and, and you kind of have that, that business sort of mindset to be able to do to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think it starts with, you know, what are you actually wanting to achieve? Yeah. Sometimes people will come to me and they're like, oh, I want to develop, I want to flip, I want to do this, I want to do that. And I'm like, look, I can help you personally, and if you have questions, I'll, I'll answer them. But at the same time, you know, I can't, um, you know, I can't advise and support necessarily on something that, you know, I'm only learning on myself. So yeah. if I'm dabbling with, development i can't go hey this is my service let's i'll teach you to develop give me your money yep. it's more like hey this is a proven strategy that i've implemented um, a lot of the property consultants that work with me i got one of the guys he's got 10 properties himself um, so a lot of these guys that work with me they've got a, a bunch of experience as well and and that's something that we know we can be relatively sure of what the outcome can be and we're we're confident in that um, but when we start to dabble into other strategies like flipping and developing and so forth, it's not to say that they aren't good. It's just to say that, you know, I haven't done them per se, so I can't, Okay. you know. So that's what I was going to ask. Personally, you said you you haven't done or you don't like flipping? Oh, no, absolutely. I do <coughs> not. I don't not like anything really. Like I, I would never sit here and be like, oh, this isn't a good strategy. I don't think, except maybe apartments. But uh, no, no. <laughs> even then, I, I wouldn't even say that every apartment's bad. I think that's a, a big generalization. Like, it, like, look, it, they're not. And again, the point like it's all it depends. Like you guys said, you look at all, all the aspects yeah. of it. Yeah, and if you're 100%. an investor who needs a tax break, you might go off and buy an apartment. Hundred percent. But okay, yeah, so again, most of the people that, you like went straight past me. Why, why do you get a tax break if you buy an apartment? Like, explain got, that to. If you have too much income and you're buying an asset that has no, like, no equity growth or anything like that, it can actually save you on tax because it cuts your take. Do you, do you want to touch yeah, on Yeah, that? of yeah. course. Yeah, I'll, I'll go into it. So basically, um, you know, for instance, like you might have more depreciation benefits with an apartment as an example. So you might be able to claim like the gymnasium and the pool and like and, and uh, amenities associated with that. Um, you know, you might have, uh, so you might have a higher depreciation potentially with that. Um, you know, you may, you know, the, the guy actually bought my apartment off um, in South Bank. Um, I bought it for three hundred and fifty-five thousand. Top podcast is like, yeah, my apartment in South Bank. Yeah, my warehouse is in Hastings. <laughs> my car box in the city. 
This guy just owns Melbourne. My house in Berwick. No, no way. But this thing, this this guy bought it for like five hundred thousand dollars or something, and and I took it off him for three fifty five. But he was like an investment banker. He was like happy to get rid of it. It was a tax thing for him. So so I don't know. But I was just like, fuck, give me a cheaper. Like cool. Who would have thought that depreciation could work in your favor? Like I, you know, again. School doesn't teach us much, but from what I've known, oh, they don't like, teach you anything. They should have it. Should be English, maths, and, <laughs> and real estate. Yeah, that's right. But they don't. They don't yeah, give but a like shit. for someone who doesn't know much about real estate in general or property, it's like I didn't know. Like you're always taught, you know, if anything goes down in value, bad, bad, bad. Depreciation is bad. Like you never yeah. think it can. Obviously, it's all contextual, but work in your favor mm. to give you a tax break. I didn't even know that was a freaking thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, it's a thing. Whether it's a good thing depends on the situation. Exactly. Yeah, hundred percent. It, it is very contextual. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Like well, yeah, yeah. I think like <laughs> I think one thing, yeah. yeah, it's just crazy too with the whole interest rate rise thing, stock market crashing today. <laughs> that was crazy. Far out. Did you know about that too? No, oh, man. <laughs> Jesus, stop looking. It's scary, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. It's scary. It's like yeah, certainly. Um, yeah, I guess the thing with the rates, I, I guess it's probably a really good one as well. It's yeah, it's a scary time at the moment. There's obviously uncertainty and so forth. Um, yeah, I guess it's just about, I think cash flow is, is going to be more and more important as time goes on. It's, it's yep. about, you know, managing, managing these properties too, too long. Going back 18 months ago, people were coming to me and going, Hey, I want to buy this property in Doreen. It's, it's 650,000. And, and then we go, how much rent are we getting? And I go, no, oh, 400 like six dollars, 400 bucks a week or something yeah, yeah. like that. And you, you work it out and you're like, all right, well you're, you're paying 200 bucks a you know, two, three, 400 bucks a month out of pocket. Okay, sure, you can afford that. Um, what happens when rates go up? You know, what happens when all of these other things go up? So I guess, you know, my my sort of position was, you know, and, and 18 months ago, we we're buying properties for four hundred thousand um, dollars, and essentially you know, they would give you five or six or seven hundred dollars a month, and and they would be principal and interest. So your debt was actually getting paid off. Yeah. And if rates rise, you're in a far better position to weather that. Um, so what I was going to say, sorry, not to say apartment in South Bank all the time, but it's a great example. <laughs> yeah. When COVID came through, um, my rent actually went from, I used to get 2000 bucks a month, beautiful, uh, for the property at 355 Then when COVID came through, completely fucked everything. And I ended up getting like <laughs> 1350 or something like something like that. Anyway, my repayments to the bank was about 1400 So I was out of pocket every month, 50 bucks on principal and interest, yeah. despite losing like, I don't know, 35, 40% of my actual rental income. So my, my point is that, um, you know, cash flow can negate risk. And, and the longer that you've got property, the often if you're paying down debt and all my properties are on P and I at the moment, principal and interest, yep. um, you know, if you're paying down debt over time, um, is that your it'll forte? become less risky. Is um, that, do you like, do you think P and I, before you get into that, how would yeah. you explain that to the gen- general population? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Me. You want me to take it away? Yeah, take it away. <laughs> right, You're the cool. expert. All right. Um, so basically, love interest. Nah. So basically, uh, principal and interest. So you've got two ways when you're paying your property down. You got principal and interest, and you got interest only. They'll let you do it two ways. Generally, um, you know, say generally and shit like that all the time because you know, some person be like, oh, they fucking don't or something. <laughs> so <laughs> typically, um, they'll let you pay either principal and interest or interest only. Now, principal and interest basically means that you're paying, you've obviously paying the interest down on the property, but you're paying principal down on the property too. So your debt's actually decreasing. Interest only means that you're actually not paying any debt down, but you're just making the minimum repayments of interest. And there's, again, pros and cons why somebody would do that. Whether there's a 
whether which one's better is isn't something I could directly answer, but I could sort of say again contextual, contextual, but basically go. This is why I do this, and and this is why somebody may look to do something else. Yeah, and um, and, and that just depends on someone's situation. But the reason I do is because I mean I, I try and make sure my properties are positively cash flowed. On, on principle, on and principle interest. And interest, which yeah. is a fantastic position to be in. Exactly, yeah. and then if shit hits the fan and rates go up, all right, cool. Worst, what are other things you can do? Or you can put on interest only. All right, it, fine. You can, you can do other things. Yeah, you know, yeah. you could be paying down the debt over time, so you're you're it's, less risky, I suppose. It's so crazy how much these rates have affected. I, I got off the phone with a buyer today. He's like, "Hey, Michael, I've got to let you know." You know, that house you're helping me look for. I've just got a call from my broker. He's just told me I've got $100,000 less to play with now because he's accounted in for the last week's interest rates as well as the next ones that are set to come. That's how much That's it can affect. Correct. There's big buffers. So if I give you an example. That's what it was, a buffer. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. So if I'm, I'm looking here, I've got $600,000 loan amount. The interest rate's 3%. Yeah. <laughs> principal interest. Uh, what do we got? $2,530 a month. Now let's change that 600000 at 3% P&I. Let's change that. Uh, to 4%. So remember 2,530, let's go 4%. 2,864 at 4%. Yeah. Now, look, a whole percent arguably is a lot, but it, it would have go up like 300 and something dollars. Yeah. Um, you know, if that's keep, if that keeps happening, it starts to hurt. Oh, absolutely. You know, but but in saying that, I don't think we need to all be, you know, doing the chicken little, the sky's falling. Yeah, you yeah. Know, it's, um, so, which a lot of people are at right now. Because they don't, yeah, they, anyway. Correct. Um, wow. So I think we need to be, you know, it's a it's a good time to be cautious and, and careful and so forth and if you can get a great deal so be it yeah um yeah for me it's a it's a bit of a watch your space but I got plenty of clients that are, that are and people that are just keen on keen on getting in but you have to be you know you have to be careful and, and know what you're doing essentially but Beautiful. what's the alternative I mean if, if rates are nice and low everybody wants to buy and you're you're overpaying exactly hundred thousand dollars so exactly. it, it's not a you know it's not an even thing I mean if you want to get into the market you got to kind of work out when is a good time to buy I suppose that was the last two things I pretty much wanted to say. So again, for people listening, when, like, what do you reckon, like now soon, is it looking good to buy? Is it looking bad to buy? What, as it is, generally, generally speaking. Yeah, yeah. So for someone who's wanting to tap into the market, let's just say. Certainly. So we'll narrow it down to that demographic. Definitely. Just yeah, as a single investment <laughs> property or even to buy, like to live in, yep. how's it looking? I still think it's a, it's a good time to buy, but you just have to be careful about what you're buying more yep. than ever. You can't just buy something, you know, willy nilly and go, hey, this should work out. You actually have to be really careful around what you're buying. Yeah. So the answer is yes, it's a good time to buy, but, but be fucking careful. Yes, yeah, absolutely. You don't want to, you know, buy something that's, that's not worthwhile. Um, I think the last thing I wanted to say in general that we can take from this as a whole outside of real estate um, is that investing in general, especially in this, because it's passive income, is so important from a general dollar standpoint. Dollar is worth less, people working Correct. more. So if you can get a passive income, it's going to work in your favor long term. Like 50 bucks Correct. buys you fuck all nowadays. What's it going to buy you what? That's correct. And that's so, the same thing with people's deposits too. Like, you know, back in the day, like three, four, five years ago, 50 grand, you're like, fuck yeah, that's great. Like, that's a lot of money, yeah. But if you're hoarding that 50k and inflation goes up six percent, it's yeah, worth yeah, less. You're right. and yeah, less and that's and less. why property is a good avenue because you're essentially buying a, a property and almost freezing that amount of asset. Correct. Worst case scenario, I mean, <coughs> if you got 50k, you park it into something. I mean, at least you, even if it didn't go up, you, you're not, uh, which it should, but you're not losing at six percent. Exactly. Uh, you, you're you know. dropping net. 
Correct. And if the property pays for itself and it pays for itself on principal and interest and it's got good fundamentals, then it can be a great time to buy. But I would be very worried actually holding on to cash. If, if my whole net wealth was in cash, you know, I've got 100K cash in the bank as an example, you know, and, and, and you know, inflation turns 8%. All right, all of a sudden- Your money's just devaluing. Exactly. Um, so um, that, that's my big thing as well. Beautiful. I, I reckon let's, we'll wrap it up. What was that thing you said at the start? <laughs> something about not piles of money, something. Oh, um, uh. Something that was was really good for me and, and it hit home was don't focus on piles of cash, focus on streams of income, and I no. think that's really important. I right was going to say, that's what are your? Home, I was going to say, what are your tips? Finishing this up, that um, hits it on the head. So we'll, you, big one, we'll <laughs> yeah. Say say that one more time. Uh, so don't focus on piles of cash, yep. focus on streams of income. Boom, drops mic. Done. Done. Boom. <laughs> Thank you very much for coming on, but we appreciate it for a ton of value. My brain is at capacity. I can't think anymore. My brain's wired. Oh, section 32. Oh, <laughs> he's been going on about that. Anyways. I'll give you my 26 things to include in the contract after. <laughs> Thank you very that. much. You're going to shoot me. <laughs> I fucking hate that. Yeah. Thank you very much for coming on, bro. We appreciate it. For those who are not listening, for those who are listening, sorry, follow Bo, Bo on Instagram, follow Maple Property Group, if you need any help with investing, there you go too. Thank you very much for listening to another episode of The Life Pod and we'll see you guys on the next episode. Thanks, guys.